Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diocese to Yazdegar the Third. I'm Serial and my pronouns are they them. And I'm Umberto, my pronouns are he him. So, welcome to episode two, which is to say Frau Ortiz. So we finally moved out of the characters in the title. So that's a good start. We'll see how far we get and uh, how well Frauertes is going to go, especially compared to Dayakis, where oh, yeah, I, I saw you weren't especially impressed. Give me something more interesting, please. Well, you're going to be disappointed. Oh, come but... on. We should have a strong start to our podcast. How are we going to convince people to keep listening to us? That's terrible. Well, everybody's going to start listening from like episode four. It'll be... That's where you get all the exciting things and prophetic <laughs> dreams and weird stuff. I see. So whatever we say now doesn't matter, really. Yeah, it's fine. We don't need, we don't need to care. It's okay. So just to recap what we did with Diakis last time, he basically created the first state in Iran, or at least among the Medians and Persians and all that sort of people that we're going to be looking at. Mm-hmm. Diakis didn't rule over Persia, just ruled over Media, so we were partially lying to you there. Yeah, we started with media for some reason. Yes, and priorities is why we're starting with media, so hey, nice. But yeah, Diakis just generally created the first state, made himself king, and now there exists a thing called media that the Assyrian Empire is aware of. Right, because he united it. That was one of the few things that we agreed that he did correctly. Yeah, that, that was his main advantage. To be fair to Diarchies, a lot of the things we heard about him are either not really about him or just made up or, you know, maybe didn't happen. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, we didn't have that much about Diarchies and then we had the mixture between, oh, it's the Greek sources and oh, it's the Assyrian sources. Are they really the same person? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Some people think they are. Some people think that's difficult but we just gave you all the versions of the story so you can make up your own mind and see what you prefer but yeah so that's essentially where we ended up right we had media as a region we had this city with a giant ziggurat of walls in different colors where diokis lived yes the city of ikbatana which will be the capital of media and an important city in iran for a long time and we have the fact that he got defeated by the king of the Assyrians, yes? Yeah, the Assyrian version of Diakis was basically crushed by Sargon II. And- Otherwise, he might have just slowly faded away. And then eventually his son got to the throne, we assume, right? Yeah, we're not told this by any Assyrian sources. We don't know about the son at all. But the point is that... At some point, eventually, his son took power. And this is how we get to Fraortes. Now, Fraortes is only really known under this name from Herodotus. So that's a starting point. Oh, yes. Herodotus are a very, very reliable source. I love him. Yeah, he's super reliable and always tells the truth. And We established that. Yeah, <laughs> we established last episode who Herodotus is and what his deal is. But he's the only one who talks about Fraortes under that name. Now, some historians have identified a different name, uh, Kashtariti, mm-hmm. which is 
apparently a median lord from the northern mountains of the area who is sort of quoted in certain Assyrian sources. And so people have said, okay, since the timelines sort of mash up, we can say that Fraortes is this Kashtariti. And maybe there was a name confusion along the way because this guy's grandson is called Fraortes, so maybe got mixed mm, up along the way. Right, so. so we start exactly as the father now follows the son, who might be two people, might be one person, might be a mash of different people, and we don't really know. Great. Yes. But the good thing is that he's going to be our last one for a while where we're not sure who he is. Oh, (laughs) interesting. And then we actually get more um, reliable sources? Yeah, next episode we will sort of emerge more into established history where you'll see why, but media is going to become more popular on the world stage. Okay, I'm excited. Let's get onto it. Yes. So who is this Kashtariti? Let's start from that direction. Well, he was apparently a Median lord from the central Zagros Mountains. And we know him from certain questions that the Assyrian king Esheradon made to the sun god Shamash in 672 BC. So we have these votive tablets that were left behind. We've managed to dig them up. And they contain information about this Assyrian king asking the god if Kashtariti is going to be hostile to him, and if his allies are going to conquer certain cities in the area. So based on how this question is posed, it seems that, well, we're not sure exactly about the detail, but it seems that Kashtariti sent certain messengers Mm -hmm. around the different enemies of the Assyrians to try and organize some sort of coalition. Right. Also, it seems that It is enough of a threat that the Assyrian king had to think, oh, okay, I probably should ask the gods for advice in this because it might be dangerous, it might not be. We don't know. Mm. So they started some kind of warfare between the two nations. Yeah, it seems like unlike Diochis, where it was more of a passive Mm -hmm. uh, recipient of the Assyrian foreign policy, here they're trying to sort of push a little bit more. So what do we know about this setup in general? Well, first of all, we need to talk a little bit about where Assyria is in this period. Because as we mentioned in previous episodes, the Assyrian Empire was the great power in the ancient world at this point. It dominated all of Mesopotamia, a large part of the Levant, the Caucasus, and it had a very large political influence along its borders. So Mm -hmm. you remember the Manaeans from last episode, the Urartians. There are Mm -hmm. many people on the edges of the empire that if they're not directly involved with it, they're at least influenced by its power. Right. So in this period, in the 7th century, what has happened is that Assyria has grown into the large Neo-Assyrian empire. Because starting from a series of influential kings, among which uh, Sargon II, the Assyrian Empire managed to grow larger and stronger and consolidate all of its gains. And so it has a different kind of name now, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, because it's a new era for them, like it was very different. Yeah, there are essentially three different periods of Assyrian empires. There's the Mm -hmm. old one up in the 20th century BC, then there's a second one just before the Bronze Age collapse, and now we're in this new phase where sort of it's Mm reflowering and growing back. So in this new period, 
they've transferred their capital to Nineveh to centralize power around their new capital. Mm-hmm. And as we heard in last episode, they're trying to consolidate their power in the Iranian plateau during its height. And we have a lot of reports of them receiving tribute of many different kinds, some in horses, since they're connected to the steppe. They Mm -hmm. have some good horses in general. Uh, Lapis lazuli, which comes from mines in Afghanistan and is found as far west as Egypt. And precious bronze, which... Apparently, tin was found somewhere in the Iranian plateau, and it was a good source of that. Mm -hmm. And for a while, they were only faced with disunified groups of people, as we saw before. Mm -hmm. The Medians were just separate individual tribes, which didn't do that much. But now that they're starting to coalesce, the Assyrians begin to have a bit more trouble dealing with their neighbors. Right. That makes sense. All of the different civilizations around the empire are starting to make their own organized groups, and now the Assyrians might be in trouble for once. Yeah, in reaction to the Assyrians, they're trying to form their own defense and resist this imperialist power next door. However, this isn't really stopping Assyria so far, because during the reign of Fraortes, so the mid-7th century, Mm -hmm. Assyria reaches its maximum height of power, because it decides to invade Egypt in 663 BC. Oh, fun. And it is the first time that Egypt has become just a part of another empire. Oh, wow. So they conquered Egypt, essentially. Yes, they managed to take Egypt very rapidly. It's not the first time Egypt has been conquered by foreigners, but it's the first time that Egypt has become a small part of someone else's empire. I see. Okay. Because we did have kings come, for example, from Libya Mm -hmm. or Nubia from the south, take over Egypt, but then Egypt was the jewel in the crown. You put the king who comes from a different civilization, so you essentially just take the government. Yeah, it's basically this new foreign king coming in and saying, I am now king of Egypt, Right. and that's what makes me important. In this case, it's Assyria saying, I now own Egypt, it's a part of me, we are better than you. This king means nothing, we actually control what is going to be done here. But yeah, not exactly. from the crown, just from our own like empire. Interesting. It's the first time that there's a power controlling both Mesopotamia and the Fertile Nile Valley. Yeah, we should have done the Assyrian Empire. Why are we bothering with Persia? Well, the Assyrian Empire is not going to stay around very long. Oh no, but they were doing so well. They were doing very well, but eight years after conquering Egypt large civil wars start to spread out across the empire. Mm, That happens when you have a really big empire to run. That is a risk. Yeah, and also since the Assyrians tend to rule a lot by fear, if they show a moment of weakness, then everybody's going to try and jump on them and rip them apart. Oh, heck. (laughs) So yeah, eight years after conquering Egypt, Egypt rebels, and the Assyrian empire begins to sort of fray at the edges. And this is where we hear a bit Herodotus telling us about Fraortes. Because Fraortes doesn't seem content to just rule the Medes. Instead, he is the first king to attack Persia and make them into his subjects. So now Fraortes is actually ruling Persia. Okay, and who is Persia right now if um, Fraortes is going from the Medians and the Assyrians are a completely different empire? Just... As a refreshment. 
Yeah, Persia right now, it's sort of doing a parallel thing to media. It was also in the path of consolidating okay. and making so its own So also a lot of different kingdom. tribes that got together into a small... Yeah, it, it was going through a very similar process, but Persia is now being governed by a family called the Achaemenids, mm-hmm. who are going to be important later on. Right now, they're ruled either by Cyrus I or Cambyses I. It's a bit unclear, but... Guess we'll find out. Yeah, you'll find out later on. But the point is that now Phraorites has managed to unite most of the eastern border of the Assyrian Empire into one entity. Okay. Herodotus also mentions that he subdued multiple nations in Asia without mentioning which nations. Oh, fun. But, eh, it could be something, Thank you, you know, Herodotus. whatever. I thought if you're writing a history, you should, you know, give some details because it might be important. But uh, I guess it wasn't important. Yeah, I guess. I mean, in fairness to Herodotus, everybody who knew about this was dead. So he had trouble asking around about this. (laughs) But yay for Ortiz. Now we're finally in Persia. Yes, he does rule Persia at last. And... You know, extrapolating from Herodotus, we can assume that roughly all these people are coagulating into something that is a united front against Assyria. And it's a little bit unclear how this was actually ruled, because based on the future title of King of Kings, we can assume that Persia maybe maintained part of its independence, and it was Mm -hmm. only associating with priorities either temporarily as a defense mechanism or it was, yes, officially under media, mm-hmm. but practically it mostly handled itself. Well, that's interesting, because if they were doing that as a method of defense against Assyria, then it would be quite interesting if it was more of a friendly, okay, we have a common enemy, let's unite forces and not all fall into this giant empire who's eating everything. Or if it was more of a conquer situation where Persia was like, well, I also want a giant empire, and so I will start here. It would make sense that it wouldn't have to be that aggressive if, you know, they have a common enemy after all. Yeah, I mean, it might just have been that the two kings from the two areas decided, okay, Fraorites, you can lead the expedition and we'll be with you rather than priorities just invading and taking over. So it might have been mixed uh, levels of being forced and being persuaded to try and get mm-hmm. everybody in order. Cool. But Phraorites now has a large front on the east of Assyria, but he also sends messengers around to the other borders of the Assyrian Empire, specifically to the north. And who do we find to the north? Well, there are the Scythian peoples. Now, who are they? The Scythians are basically the Indo-Iranian peoples that decided to stay in the steppe. So they're distant cousins of the Medians and the Persians who have adopted a horse people lifestyle, whereby they live on horseback, do all that sort of thing. And they're also the first people who develop the typical method that you associate with fighting on horseback, which is to go on horseback, shoot arrows at people from a distance. When they try and run after you, you just trot away while shooting them with arrows. And they can never catch up to you, and, you know, you can run away if you need to. That's very convenient. It's a good strategy. Good loophole. Yeah, it's a strategy that works very well all the way up until the Mongols. Because that's what they do. That's what they'll be using. Exactly. Yeah, because 
especially if you're used to a settled empire like the Assyrians, for example, where they mostly go with large, slow-moving armies that are designed to capture cities. If you have people that attack you on horseback and run away when you try and catch them and they don't have any cities to conquer, then it's really hard to fight back mm -hmm. because they're playing a different game to what you are. So it doesn't really exactly. work that way. Yeah. So the Scythians are now found in the steppes north of Iran and north of the Caucasus. And in around 680 BC, we start to hear Assyrian reports of them attacking from the mm -hmm. north. It seems to be a lot of smaller raids, but we also have apparently some reports of them raiding as far south as Media itself. Oh. So they're getting pretty far in their expeditions, although they don't seem to stay very long in each place. So Herodotus tells us of a period of Scythian rule over Asia uh, just after this period, but it's more likely that it was just maybe some long-ranging raids that went into Assyrian territory. So this is more of a constant threat that is coming mm -hmm. from the north. Which makes sense that then priorities would try and contact these horseback people from the north if they can, you know, unite their efforts to defeat the Assyrian Empire. Yeah, all of them have a common goal in mind. So they've noticed that, okay, Egypt has rebelled. Cool. There's a civil war in Assyria. Great. It's our time to shine. Let's join forces and attack. Avengers, assemble! <laughs> yes, the Avengers of the Iron Age <laughs> can go. We have Iron Age, man. <laughs> oh, no, that was very loud. Oh, please make sure this doesn't break anybody's ears. When I play. <laughs> so now that we've assembled all of these allies, Assyria sees it as a real threat. So as I mentioned before, the Assyrian kings are asking the gods, hey, are the Medians and their Scythian allies going to attack us? Should we worry about this? The Assyrian king also asks if he should send his army directly against Fraortes personally to start the war that way. And he also asks quite worryingly if the Assyrians would escape from the Median troops. Which sounds like a pessimistic start to an yeah, invasion. This is not how you should approach saying, it. Saying, will we make it out alive? We don't know. They they are scared, the Assyrians. Yeah, I mean, they've been the most powerful empire in the world. And just eight years ago, they owned Egypt. And they become the largest empire the world had ever seen. But now everything is crumbling. And things are becoming problematic. There's also signs of some rebellions in Babylon which are also threatening to rip another important river valley away from the Assyrians, so everything is a bit problematic at the moment. So Phraortes gets in charge of this large army formed of Scythians, Medians, Persians, all other Iranian peoples, and they march against Assyria, targeting directly the capital of Nineveh, around which all this Neo-Assyrian empire has been built. So now that all of these forces are arrayed against Assyria, there is a large climactic battle that happens. No way! They have like a full-on Lord of the Rings 3 enormous battle. Just all of the factions against the Assyrians. Yes, it's a massive battle of five armies all together oh smashed that at one so point. That's so awesome! I thought it would just be, you know, like lots of different battles that like they have and... 
No, no, there is one large final battle. That is so epic. Everything goes to. Yes. The battle is either in 653 BC or 625. We don't know. Because yay sources. But the bottom line is that after this large and grueling clash, we get an Assyrian message that tells us that they won the battle against the invaders. No way! They won? Yes. The Grand Coalition was defeated. Despite the Assyrians being on their last legs, they're not out yet. Listen, you're making, like, I'm here, like, rooting for the Assyrians, just like, oh my god, that was so epic, and they won against these people. Why are you making me root for the Assyrians? No, I should be rooting for all the little (laughs) tribes that are, like, they're no longer tribes, obviously, they're kingdoms, but they're trying to hold their ground. Come on, man. I mean, the Assyrians are, are dying. It's it's like seeing the end of the Roman Empire. It's like, okay, you know, you made some cool carvings. I feel bad. But not really, though, because, see, I was expecting something like the Roman Empire with the Assyrians, which is like it slowly crumbles and like erodes over, over the years. And like in the end, there's nothing left. This is more of a, oh, oh, my God, everything was awesome. And now we're plummeting. What do we do? I want to go back to 10 years ago. Oh, my God, help. Hashtag relatable. Oh, God. (laughs) That hurts. That hurts so bad. But also, yes. But no. Okay, so they're not dead yet because they won the battle, apparently. Yeah, the Assyrians managed to defend their capital and the core of their empire doesn't collapse yet. So everything is still on fire, but it's a little bit less on fire. And what happens to all the friendly members of our coalition? Well, the coalition mostly breaks up. Oh. The Scythians return up north to the steppe. And what happened to Phraortes, you might ask? Well, Herodotus tells us that during the great climactic battle, he was killed there with most of his forces. Oh, come on. This is giving me, like, endgame vibes. For any Marvel fans out there, you know, they fight Thanos and there's all of this coalition of lots of different superheroes all fighting for this one cause. And then Thanos wins because, you know, Thor should have aimed for the head. So now they're all going back to their houses. Some of them no longer there. And uh, we, I guess, get to see what happens until we get to Endgame, huh? Yeah, spoilers, the Assyrian Empire isn't still around, so something is going to happen to it. But, oh, wait, you so know. the... But they won. So why is the Assyrian... I mean, it isn't around in the oh, modern day. Oh, okay. I was so confused for a moment. So we are <laughs> no, we are no. in the Infinity War of the franchise. Of Assyrians versus everyone else. Yes, the credits are rolling. And in the end credit scene, we see a young prince, son of Phraortes, called Syaxares. And he has a look in his eye and he swears oh, revenge. That one this day is so he'll good. Actually, I'm a fan. I love this. <laughs> but I'm really sad that Freortes died. So do we have more information about what he did during his reign? No, unfortunately, that's it. Because oh. all of this that I told you is about like a small paragraph in Herodotus. But how are we going to rank Freortes? He, I mean, we he, have, he did some things. We have some ideas. I mean, we know this one battle, but like, you know, and, and leading up to it. And then the, that was it. Which <laughs> Okay. I mean, okay. yeah, I told you, this wasn't going to be the most impressive episode. But next episode, Syaxaris, mm. tune in. It's 
going to be a lot more stuff, that thankfully. sounds very interesting. We get to talk astronomy and things. Ooh, so I'm excited. Look forward to that. Okay, okay. So let's see. How did the Assyrians get destroyed eventually? We'll find out next episode. Oh, They don't okay. live very long. So this is a very short episode. Okay. <laughs> this is a very short episode. This is one of the shortest episodes. Because, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle. But at least you have an idea of what's happening around the world. All right, so now it's time to rate priorities according to our different categories. Starting among which is final moments. I think he deserves some points. So unlike Diochis, who just fades away, Phraortes dies in battle in this climactic scene in front of the Assyrian capital and is destroyed with all of his army. So what are you feeling for final moments score? If you just go off of the facts and, you know, having only one paragraph about this one king doesn't really help. But if you look at it from the cinematic point of view, right? And you imagine Freyortes through these years being like, now's our chance to strike. We can get together all of these people. Hopefully they will be kind to our cause and want to join. We can finally get rid of this gigantic Assyrian empire that has been threatening our lives and our loved ones for so long. I'm going to send messengers to the north and we're going to make a pact with Persia on the east. This is what I'm going for, for this version. And we're going <laughs> sure. to get everyone together. I like what the horsemen have been doing with their strategy. Hopefully that we'll get them on our side and we should all attack at once. Egypt is rebelling now. It is the time. Let's do it. And all of these people get together and then they get into this giant battle. And he starts with his army on his own and they fight valiantly, but he gets stabbed on the shoulder with a spear and he's not doing so good, but still holding onto his horse. Because, you know, that's what's happening, obviously. Sure. And he runs back to meet up with another general to reconsider what they could do to get away from all the rain of arrows that is obscuring the sky. He runs back to consult with this general and he decides to call his men back because there seems to be no hope. And then suddenly, throughout the mountains on the other side of the hills, he suddenly sees a shadow appear of four other whole armies coming to his rescue. And so the battle continues and he decides to go back to the battlefield cuts the spear that is poking out of his shoulder so he can continue, puts a quick bandage on, goes back with his men, and sadly, he doesn't make it back, but the other armies could see him and gather their hope for this cause. And then, sadly, Thor forgets to go for the head of Thanos and we end up with half of the population disappearing. So, you know, if you look at it that way with this heroic death and having united all of these people to fight against the Assyrian Empire, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, unfortunately, 2,700 years of history have eroded all of this story into, yeah, he died in battle. Hmm. He is, oh, oh no, I've just realized which one of the Avengers he is. <laughs> Who is he? He's the Vision. Oh, oh no. He's, he's oh, the honey. vision and I, get to, oh, and I get to see him die yet once again because Marvel hates me. So sad. Whatever did I do to you, Marvel? <laughs> anyway. So how would you rate his death out of 10? How impressed are you by it? I really like my cinematic uh, 
version, so I would say like a six. But it's in the end, it's just, oh, he died in battle. And we don't really have much detail. Yeah, but I guess you can include in the context the fact that, oh, yes, there's this whole assembly of armies. and there's this... He died in that battle. Yeah, though, that's In that cool. particular giant, cinematic, incredible battle of five armies. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Come on. You can consider that. So, yeah, I'd say a six. So a six, I'm, uh, what, am, what am I going for? I'd say, I'd say maybe a, more of a four. That's my vibe, mostly because... Yeah, mostly because the lack of detail. If we had more information, then yes, I would match you. But with everything that we have, I'd say, I mean, it's interesting that you died in battle and it was a whole cool effort, but eh. They still lost and we still didn't have much detail. But I think that's excellent because then we average out to a five. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay, so in total, final moments, five out of ten. Next category is Battle Hardness, where I think you're going to be favorable here. Oh yeah, let's go. So what did he do in Battle Hardness? We have a few things to look into. So first of all, he maybe conquered Persia. Either he conquered Persia through the sword or through diplomacy. Depends how convinced you are that he would have done one or the other. And then he personally went into battle against the Assyrians and you know, so personally that he died in battle. Sadly, yes. As a minus for battle hardness, he lost That's, uh, conquering yes. Assyria. But again, still, he did win in the whole Persia department. So what are you feeling here? It is here? true. So for once, most importantly for this podcast and not being sued by false advertisement, he conquered Persia. Either he had, you know, a bit of an agreement with them or he conquered them. But like now, it's the Persian Empire. Also... He managed to put all these people together and was part of organizing one of the biggest battles in this time of history, I assume, against the biggest empire that was around at the time. So that's really cool. Again, we'll probably change a lot of these rankings once we have like 10 episodes and actual data to go off of. But this was very fun. I had a lot of fun like listening to this story. So I would go for, like, mm, probably seven. He did good. Seven? Okay. I don't know if he conquered Persia or if he, like, decided to have an agreement. But still, like, putting together this battle, even though he lost... Well, maybe a six, because, you know, he did lose the battle. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the thing, because it's nice. There's this whole build-up, and, you know, if you were writing a story, it would be cool if it finally defeats Mm. the Assyrian Empire at the end, but... Unfortunately, I mean, the script writers decided. Go back not. to my reaction when you said the Assyrians win. <laughs> I was like, yeah, wait, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they did? Yeah, it's all building up, but unfortunately, no. So you're, you're saying six? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it depends if we think he conquered Persia or not. I feel like he didn't. I feel like he went more the mm. diplomatic type, especially since media and Persia are like roughly the same size, and you could assume that. He probably didn't go into battles for it. He didn't, like, violently. Yeah, I feel like maybe, like, a small display thing, yeah. but nothing huge. Uh, I'm still a bit lower than you. I'm, like, somewhere between a four and a five. Mm. That's fair. I will not change my answer, though. You know what? I think I'm just going to go with a four because he's defeated again. So it's <laughs> going to be another four and six. Uh, yes. <laughs> but, yeah. 
We could see. So that's a total of 10 out of 20 for Battle Hardness for Frau Ortiz. Listen, you're not making it easy for me with these characters. Like, you're not giving me any information. Half of it might be wrong. The other half might be made up. I'm doing what I can. You know, I'm going off of vibes, and that's what we're getting. Please do not write a thesis based on this podcast. Thank you. All right, so the next category is then scheminess. So, ah. I mean, like, he chose the right moment to attack Assyria, but that didn't need much scheminess. That just needed a little bit of intelligence, yeah. like basic planning. So, yeah, Frodi's ability and scheminess doesn't shine through very much. We know that an alliance was built. We don't specifically know that it was him that did it, but he certainly didn't hurt, I guess. So he was doing something at least. And besides that, you could add in here maybe getting the Persians on side, but he didn't really trick them, did he? So I'm not mm. going terribly high on scheminess. I'd go with a like a one or a two, I'm feeling. What is your opinion? Yeah, I would go with a one. I don't think it was very scheming. Which is fine, just, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think just a token one for the fact that managed to take advantage of the situation and it somehow worked out in the end. So, yeah, I'd say one and a one makes two out of 20 for scheminess. Next is shock factor. Here as well, it's not a kind category to Froarties. Well, first of all, we know very little about him. He may have been drinking the blood of children and we don't know. Yeah. But, um... Not many details. Eh... Yeah, shock factor, I'm... I mean, he attacked Assyria when it was weak, but that's just clever. <laughs> you know, it's not like they were best friends forever and he decided to betray them. Yeah, it was just, that would have been no, awesome. They, they were just rivals. <laughs> that's it. So I'm going to go with a zero for shock factor. Yeah, me too. Not that shocking. You too? Okay, so zero out of 20. Sorry for Ortiz. Next category is Eren Shine. So how good was he for... Let's say media and Persia together at this point. Did he do a good job? Uh, he got some friends. If he had won the battle, though. If he had won the battle. I mean, if he'd won like, the battle. It would have yeah. been so good. It would have been a lot better, but unfortunately, that's but just not his But he didn't, uh, so... That's not his place. <laughs> I guess he was fine. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Shine, on the upside, he managed to sort of unite uh, media and Persia no, depending on more or less temporarily, either for an alliance or into an actual state. And then beyond that, he managed to form a large enough and threatening enough force that the Assyrians were concerned. You know, that's relatively impressive. But besides that, we don't really get any reports of city building or of, you know, road networks or trade especially. It all seems very war-focused. He doesn't do anything too... Fantastic. And he dies in battle. Yeah. And mild spoilers for the next episode, but when your king dies in battle, that doesn't work great for the stability of your empire. Yeah, certainly you need, you know, a replacement. Yeah, you need a replacement, and probably you didn't expect to die in battle, so the replacement wasn't appropriately prepared, so it's it's a bit of a mess. So Aaron Shine, I'm gonna say I'd say like a three. I'd say two for adding Persia to the team and one for beefing up and being threatening. Uh, 
If you put it that way, I guess that makes sense. I'll go for a two as well. Go for a two. Not as impressed. Okay. You're more impressed with the fighting, less with the... Well, we don't else. really know, <laughs> right? Like, we don't really know what... True. We Yeah, we don't really have much else information, but... Yeah. So that's a five out of 20 for Erin Shine for our priorities. Next round is Face of Faces where we have nothing to rate on. Oh, no. Nothing contemporary, nothing in the future. Nobody cares enough about priorities. Nobody in the history of humanity has decided, let's make a portrait oh, of priorities. Oh, come on. I was, making, I was making my portrait. Then yours will be the first portrait on record of priorities, because <laughs> nobody else worried enough. No pressure. Yeah, it's fine. This is just going to be the official one that you get when you Google priorities. No. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not that good. I tried to look up images for priorities, but there is nothing. Oh, God. You either get photos of Diakis or Thyaxaris, but priorities is just a blank slate. Well, I'm painting him in the middle of the battle uh, on his horse. All the clothes and everything are wrong because I'm looking at no reference for what the era should have been. So who knows? Um, I mean, it's a man on a horse. It's fine. <laughs> it works somehow. Yeah, I'll show you in a second. Because sadly, we're not physically in the same space right now, so you can't just watch me. Yeah, so Serial will show me their drawing and we can have okay. a look. Here you go. Okay, let me see. Oh, there's a nice gentleman. I love his hat. He has, I he oh, he has an excellent beard. Uh, yes, that is a very good pointy crown. Looks like a cake of some sort, which is excellent. <laughs> He has a horse riding into battle, sword held aloft. And he has a, a speech bubble saying, for me, de I, I mean, for all of us. Ah. Specifically in that tone. So, yeah, that's an excellent uh, portrait of Frowarties. This will be enshrined forever in history. If all else is destroyed, this is what will be remembered of him. Oh, please, no. But, yeah, I mean, there's nothing else. This is the most accurate portrait of Frowarties that exists. So overall, I'd, I'd say that's a zero out of five for Face of Faces. Yeah, I'm sorry. sadly. And then comes our final round, lengthiness. So how many years did priorities rule? It's difficult to determine. <laughs> like most things at this time, it's unclear. Well, didn't Herodotus do something similar to what he did for Diocese and or Diokes and, you know, count back, knowing more or less? Eh. He did. So the thing is, Herodotus tells us that Frowarties ruled 22 years. So that's one version. But other historians say that actually Herodotus messed up <laughs> and gave the reign of Frowarties to Diochis. Oh. So that he should have actually reigned 50 years. And that Diochis is actually pushed further back. Uh -huh. This is part of the reasons why Diochis... Is a mess? Yes. Yeah. And also, there's a bit of an interregnum period after the death of Phraortes, where, according to Herodotus, the Scythians ruled all of Asia, mm -hmm. as I mentioned before. But modern historians think that that's unlikely, so how is this empty space fit into our narrative? Yeah. We're not sure. So for our accounting, I decided to go with Herodotus's version, since we went with his version for Diochis. Yeah. Let's not deviate too far. Not like we have more reliable sources to go off of, so... Yeah, it's not ideal. Let's have everything make sense with the one that we've been taking so far. 
yeah, the lungs were consistent. So yeah, I'd say that Ferrotes ruled from 675 BC to 653 BC and reigned a total of 22 years, which gives him a lengthiness score of 2.2 out of 5. Okay. So this leads us to the total score. Do you think he did better or worse than Diochis? What do you feel? Well, Diochis has a really big... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> lengthiness <laughs> score <laughs> I'm sorry he ruled for many years which helps but we also gave him really low scores I think and this was more average I think it should be close together I don't know I think Freortes has higher scores Okay. no I think Diochis has higher scores sorry well, you are right, because hey. Diochis had a 32.8 out of 100, while Ferrortes has only a 24.2 out of 100, which is kind of disappointing because he did a lot of cool things, but Diochis wins in scheminess, shock factor, mm-hmm. air and shine, face of faces, lengthiness. There was more story material. Yeah, I mean, from Diochis, we got more of a little fairy tale type thing. Frorities is just a paragraph saying, yep, he tried to mm-hmm. conquer Assyria, yep. failed. Whoops. Good night. But that leads us to our final question. That is to say, did Frorities impress you enough, leave enough of a memory for you to be called a Shahan Shah, or should he rather be called a Shahan Nah? Mm. Well, you see, in my head, the whole movie that I made up was great, <laughs> and I love this. And now I can tell people, you know, there was like a gigantic battle between five armies at the height of the Assyrian Empire after they had conquered Egypt, and all of these kingdoms came together to try and defeat them. But like, they lost, and also like, we don't know anything about this guy. So I feel like it would be unfair to give him a Shahan Shah. Yeah, it's a bit sad because you feel like if we knew more, there would probably be a good story there somewhere. But it's just so little information that, yeah, yeah, not much. Sorry for Ortiz. Yeah, sorry for Ortiz, but you're a Shahanna. You can go and join Dayakis out lost in the desert and you can console each other on (laughs) being interesting, but not that much. You can console each other knowing that nobody remembers shit about either of you. Yeah, but for Ortiz, hey, it's 2,700 years later, you have a portrait now. Yeah, we don't even know <laughs> if that's your name or if you're Kashtariti. Yeah, you might be Kashtariti or Ortiz. We don't know, but whoever you are, you have a portrait. <laughs> it's probably just as accurate as your name, so that's fine. Indeed. So yeah, so that's the end of our episode. Episode two for Ortiz. Yeah, very short this week. Yeah, it's short this week, but uh, it was a paragraph. <laughs> you did what you <laughs> What could. do you want to do? <laughs> you did good. Um, yeah. So now we're in the middle of the Median Empire, and we're slowly building up steam, going towards something much larger, which will be present under our friend Syaxares, who is going to be our next king, if you'll join us next week. Yeah, also, we finally got some mention of Persia and some, like, relation to it whether it was conquest or diplomacy so hey stay tuned for the actual podcast starting on episode five apparently (laughs) Eh, 
F4, 5, you know. Episode 3 is important context, though. Okay, this good. is all building the grounds. This is all building the ziggurat. <laughs> We're in the black wall right now. We have the white wall. We have the black wall. Tomorrow is the crimson wall. Let's see. Yes, we'll just keep adding on. And then when we get to the first people called the great, we'll... Oh, that would be cool. You'll know why it was all necessary. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening to us, for making it all the way to the end of the episode. We're really grateful to have you here. Don't forget to check out our social media if you want to know some details about the show or about the next episode that we will release or anything that we will post on there. You can find us at Ranking Persia on Twitter or on... So you think you can rule persia.wordpress.com? Yes, that's correct. URL. It will be linked in the notes for the episode. Yeah, just let us know what you think. And I hope you're looking forward to the episode with Saixaris because we have multiple paragraphs on him. So I'm going to spoil you. Oh my God, yes, yes, please. (laughs) I'm so looking forward to it. Okay, we'll catch you next week on the next episode. And take care until then. Goodbye. Goodbye.